Hey, hi, and hello once again. Um, welcome to the Wildlife for You podcast, where we talk about wildlife and conservation in ways that make sense. I'm Stephanie Payne, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daryl Ratajak. And for today's topic... Hey, can I jump in here real quick, Steph? <laughs> We're not, I'm not even done with the intro. <laughs> no, no I, trust me, this is actually a good interruption here. Um, this one's actually warranted as compared to what I usually do to you. Anyway, you just mentioned yourself and me, and it just dawned on me that there's probably some folks out there, new listeners, who may not really know who the heck we are because they haven't really listened to our intro episode. And so that's the one where we kind of talk about our past experiences. And so I think it might be good to every once in a while we mention our street creds. <laughs> our street creds? So what are you, James Dean or something? James Dean. I don't know anything about pork sausages. <laughs> no, James Dean is the actor. Jimmy Dean. Of uh, you know what? Just yeah. never mind. But you do seem to be hung up on pigs lately, though. Um. So, all right. What exactly is this street cred that you're talking about? <laughs> Nothing big. I just think that every once in a while we should probably remind people kind of who we are when it comes to wildlife that we we actually know a thing or two and so we're not just one of those people that stayed overnight in the marriott and suddenly know everything <laughs> um do you mean a holiday inn <laughs> whatever I, I don't watch tv yes holiday inn anyway whatever um i just think we should let people know every once in a while um what our background is and so we do actually have some education and experience when it comes to teaching folks about wildlife and knowing stuff about wildlife. So for all of our listeners out there, for example, you, my friend, Stephanie, um, you received your degree from Oregon state university and you specialized in human wildlife dynamics. And although you're a phenomenal information and security governance professional, which is a heck of a mouthful, that's your day job. Um, and you do that in the healthcare industry, uh, by night, you literally pull double duty coordinating and facilitating wildlife human attack response training for state, federal, and provincial agencies. It's, it's pretty darn impressive there, Steph. Ah, thanks. Um, but, you know, yours isn't too shabby either there, mister. Um, after getting your wildlife degree, since you cameoed me um, at SUNY, um, and I won't even add that Noah was in class with you. Um, but let me uh, take this off on my fingers. <laughs> Sorry. No, I swear. I, I'm sick. like, who's Noah? And then I'm like, the only, <laughs> the only Noah I know is like, oh my gosh, that Noah. <laughs> <laughs> he did have to, a lot to do with animals. So it was fitting. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, let me take these off on my fingers. So um after that, you worked with black bears uh, for a stint outside the Smokies, and then you started working for the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, where it took you, what, like 10 years to move up to the highest position in the state to chief of wildlife and forestry. And then you were a program manager for the U.S. Forest Service out west. Yeah? Yep. I, I guess you could say I'm a... I'm what you call a career wildlife biologist. Um, but here's the funny thing about all those jobs. Uh, th those, that's pretty much my side job. Th that's what I do to more or less keep the lights on in the house, um, to pay the bills. 
what I do here at Wildlife for You, I, I consider like these podcasts and the webinars and everything I do here, that's my true passion. And, and I know it's one of yours along with wildlife attack training. But the bottom line is, I think it's safe to say the two of us, we've, we've been around the block uh, when it comes to wildlife. And we, we probably know a little bit more than the average bear when it, when it comes to Mother Nature and what happens out there. Uh, well, so not, not to dispute that, but I, I wouldn't actually say bears because bears are pretty sharp when it comes to wildlife. But I would agree that it's probably safe to say the general public deal. Deal. Okay, so... Uh, what uh, what were we talking about before you interrupted me this time? <laughs> I don't even think we got to in- introduce the topic yet. Um, I got this. So anyway, I'm cl- I'm glad we started out with a little bit of levity because today's podcast is going to talk about one of the more darker sides of wildlife in in the wildlife realm. And what we're going to talk about today is mostly about poaching. Uh, yes, I remember now you wanted to start the Outlaw series. Yeah, I mentioned that last week. And it's not so much that I want to talk about poaching, but it's more like it's something we probably need to talk about because there's some species out there where poaching is literally what's driving these species towards the brink. Um, well, so not to, not to interrupt you there, but uh, before you get too involved, why don't you give us a quick explanation on what uh, poaching is? Yeah, I guess that'd be a good starting point. We pride ourselves on trying to speak in uh, plain language. So poaching in, in our profession and in our world, it's it's a term we use all the time. But there's some folks out there that may not know or may not understand exactly what it is. But when we talk about poaching, we're literally talking about the illegal taking or killing of wildlife. Now, you know throughout North America, throughout most of the world, there are some animals that we take for food that we hunt um, and we hunt those legally. We take them for food. Uh, those, that's perfectly fine. We heavily manage those animals to make sure that their population numbers are doing well. But there's some species out there where their population numbers aren't doing so well Namely, it's mostly because of the impacts of humans. And so we got to be very careful about uh, having too much of an impact on a lot of these species. And there are some people out there that will take those animals for one reason or for another. Now, and sometimes they might kill an animal illegally for food. Sometimes they do it for sport. Sometimes they do it for cultural reasons or medicinal reasons they have some either religious belief or they believe there's healing powers but literally what it boils down to is they are illegally harvesting or taking these animals and killing them and so that's probably the best definition i can come up can you add anything to that or you good um no no i'm I'm good with that and and you know, as well as I do, that this topic is very near and dear to my heart because some of my favorite animals are imperiled literally due to uncontrolled poaching. So, for example, the Amur tiger, or what most folks call the Siberian tiger, but anyhow, it is literally my, my most favorite of the favorites. Uh, and it has scary low numbers simply because of poaching. And as you can imagine, the, the pelt and body parts of a tiger, they command quite a price on the black market. So 
every single one of these cats. And I mean, each and every individual matters and poaching, they it can just totally push that species over the edge and an edge might I add that they're already tottering on because they've been so heavily hard at harvest and it just chaps my butt, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing when it comes to poaching and usually when we think about it, it seems that many of those more high profile species, like you mentioned, the tigers and, and animals like that, th- those animals that are threatened by poaching, a lot of those are found overseas. So take, for example, rhinoceros, or what, what would it be, rhinoceri? I think it's rhinoceroses. <laughs> anyway, in the wild, black rhinos are in trouble. There's, I think there's less than a thousand of the black rhinos in the wild, um, and, but it's believed there's, there's another similar species called the white rhinos, and those are functionally extinct. And like yeah. a lot of these, a lot of these animals are happening in our lifetime, but white rhinos are, are pretty much functionally extinct. Yeah. And, and that's, that's bad. Um, and for our listeners, functionally extinct, um, that refers to when a, a species it's, it doesn't really have enough individual members to produce future generations or play any kind of a role in the ecosystem. So simply there, there's just not enough of them left to persist. So if they have a future and that's a big, if it's going to be full of genetic issues from lack of genetic variation. But, but we all do know that poaching is an issue, especially in third world countries where culturally and economically things are just different. Yeah. And I can imagine since you, you focus, you, you majored in this human wildlife um, dynamics when you were in school, getting your degree, I imagine you could probably speak quite a bit on this. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so part of my specialization, it focused on economy and social sciences, um, something that most biologists can't say. And honestly, they probably really wouldn't want to say that. But um, poaching, and we could likely extend this outlaw series to include things um, like exotic animal trade, but um, it's super, super complex. It's, It's definitely a social issue. So on the surface, It's easy to look at these cultures where poaching is more prevalent and say that it's an economic issue, like related to poverty, because like you said, third world country, but that doesn't paint the whole picture. Um, Poverty, it might have a role because money's involved. I mean, a tiger paw, it can bring in like a thousand bucks or more and a pelt's like 20 grand minimum. So obviously there's a money factor, but it's not about the poverty as much as it is about the greed. I mean, poverty doesn't cause poaching, but poaching actually does exacerbate poverty. Uh, when it comes to economic factors, the, the root of the issue is it's really a lack of money-making alternatives in these areas. I mean, so it's, it's easy to bribe or pay off people when income is so prized and so needed. And to make it even more complex, these these iconic creatures like the rhinoceri um, or the tiger um, and elephants, these these huge iconic animals, they're very very highly poached because they're so iconic, and they're actually the same species that are promoting a tourism trade in those areas. So losing those species to poaching is is really undermining kind of like this this fundamental economic driver in those areas where those tourist dollars could actually help with poverty in some ways. Um, Yeah. There's, there's really no simple answer here. It's, it's a combination of greed, corruption, criminal opportunity, flat out opportunity. Um, 
And it boils down to essentially just complete undervaluing and lack of guarding our natural resources. Yeah, but it sounds to me it's pretty short-sighted and detrimental to pretty much the world in general, for sure. So I guess no easy answers means no easy fix. No, no, not really. Um, I mean, if it involves humans, there's really never an easy answer. Um, the hardest thing that we as as Americans or anybody that's in a developed country, um, we have to understand that we do not understand what life is like on the other side. I mean, we don't generally have like family member members that that suffer because we didn't do something that a cartel member told us to do, you know, or or we don't have to worry that if we don't take a bribe, you know, most of us don't even get bribed. But if we don't take a, a bribe, it means a true loss of financial support for our family or even, you know, people can lose their lives. It can be losing their life, losing a loved one's life. So it's easy to armchair quarterback this issue. But but when we try to do that, um, we come up with these simple solutions and we're showing essentially that our simple solutions are highly inadequate because we literally don't understand what life is like in those areas. So, so no, the only way to really make a difference here is to undermine that market demand. And that for sure isn't simple. I mean, off the top of my head, um, and like you said, that would in include changing thousand-year-old beliefs that are held by a third of the global population, um, changing a lot of different value systems, changing human greed, that, that whole, I want it and therefore I should have it. And, you know, the, the more rare and hard to get these species become, the higher the price tag. So honestly, you know, you, a wildlife outlaw series, it's, it's likely talking about some of the most complicated aspects related to wildlife conservation. And the hardest part is that it's a global issue because humans are a global occurrence. Um, it's, it's easy to say, you know, well, we should just make these other areas have and, and also strictly enforce some stronger laws. But, you know, there's, there's already so many issues that we face globally. And having the ability as one country to force another country to do something, that's, that's tough. I mean, the only real option there is, what, like peer pressure, or financial aid, um, it's politics. And just for the record, I absolutely do not want to bust into politics because that's a dumpster fire conversation if I ever heard one. You know, that, that was that was probably the longest answer you've ever given. And you know how much <laughs> I, I love interrupting you, but you were on such a roll there. That was that was a phenomenal uh, synopsis there, Steph. And we haven't even talked about poaching for subsistence, which is yet completely another whole different topic. Um, so let's, let's kind of bring this around for our listeners. So poaching in general, we know it's a worldwide issue and there's a lot of issues in third world countries. So is poaching an issue in North America? Oh, yeah. Um, like I said, humans are a global occurrence. So, um, but, but let's talk about the U S so. After China, um, the U.S. is actually the next largest importer of illegal animal parts. And just like overseas, it's the money that's usually driving the motive uh, on imports. It's, it's the greed thing. Um, but, you know, there's money behind poaching North American animals, too, uh, for a few reasons. On the export side of things, we'll say, um, a black bear, for example, a black bear gallbladder can bring in something like $30,000 or something. And... Uh, just for the record, you don't have to actually ship those overseas to sell them. I mean, 
there's been plenty of examples found in, um, well, for example, like in an Asian district in a larger city. Uh, and like I said, we're talking about cultural beliefs that a third of all humans have. So we cannot assume that those cultural beliefs aren't here too. Um, more examples, the, the horns of a bighorn sheep. Um, I know that those are ground down. They go for like 20,000 bucks. Um, and these, these are high examples. Sure. Um, but the, when the market demand has that kind of money at stake, crime is going to continue. Um, but, but let's be honest then too. One of the factors at play when we're talking about poaching, especially in North America, it's a different kind of greed. You know, there's, there's loads of American examples where a simple individual or personal greed for like, you know, oh, I want that bear pelt. Uh, I, I want that big antlered rack on that deer. Um, but other trophies, you know, the trophies, they spur poaching. Yeah. And I know the U.S. isn't exempt, even though we are a first world country. Um, and we have laws about this stuff and game wardens and all that other stuff. So we're, we're in a bit better shape than those other countries. I don't know about that. Um, I don't know if, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's yeah, I, 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 as soon as that rolled off my tongue, I'm like, yeah, I, I shouldn't say we're, when you, when you look at our society, our system, we're hopefully set up functionally to better address poaching than some of the third world countries, which may not have the governance in place to, have like an arm of law enforcement so uh that's that's kind of where i was going with that yeah so i i would say that um that we we do have in, in north america we have a, a pretty good system that we're we're trying to continue to always grow and develop um but the, the u.s isn't exempt from from all of the the poaching crimes even though um we are a first world country and have the laws and the game wardens and um, and since I said North America, I'll go ahead and say Canada isn't either. I mean, I was, I was reading in a natural resources journal that almost nowhere is, is uh, poaching of wildlife just literally as lucrative and dangerous and hard to control as it is in the good old US of A. So. Wow. That's kind of ironic since usually Africa and Asia, they pretty much get the attention as far as the worldwide stage when it comes to poaching. Um, but why is that, do you suppose? Like in, in Africa, you always hear about the the rhino poachers and the game wardens and how they're always playing this game of cat and mouse. And over there, it often involves life and death. You, you hear stories or you watch those documentaries where they're going out there and pursuing the years and they're carrying around AK-47s and and it's it's literally a life and death game over there. So how can how can they say it's more extreme here in the good old US of A? Is what is it? Higher stakes, technology? What makes it more extreme? Uh, okay. Well, um, well. So first off, it's probably that those other places get more attention because those are the huge iconic animals that we were just talking about. But but don't don't make any mistakes it's life and death here too i mean hundreds of game wardens have been killed feloniously in the united states in the last hundred years but i mean as far as being more extreme yeah technology is a starting point um america uh, i mean we've got tech so our american poachers they've generally got great tech they've got you know sat phones and awesome communication technologies and drones and you know stuff like that but you know the cool thing is game wardens they're getting their hands on on pretty epic tech too. Um, 
So anyhow, add, here though, add the easy uh, and prevalent access to the internet and you see a whole new thing called a means to market. So what I mean here is like, for example, there was a, a Jaguar pelt on Craigslist that was up for sale for like $19,000 just, just on Craigslist. Um, another factor, obviously, we've got the numbers game. We've got a lot of land um, and we've got a lot of valuable species. And like you mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of legal and law abiding hunters who, who also care about cons uh, conservation. And, you know, poachers, they're really good at slipping through those cracks and sometimes we, we have to remember that these guys, they're driven by a payday uh, of some sort, even those opportunistic poachers. Um, let's see, there's, there's, of course, the hurdle that all areas face, which is just the simple lack of, of policing. I mean, like I said, it's a lot of land, regardless if it's here or if it's in Africa, it's, it's a lot of land. Um, but I think mostly what makes it so high stakes is just the firepower in the organization. I mean, illegal wildlife trade, it's literally, it can be as lucrative as the illegal drug trade, only with a lot less cops and, you know, way lighter penalties. So like the drug trade, though, these commercial poachers, they're, they're pretty well organized. They're not keen to being taken out of business. And, you know, like other career criminals, they've got a lot of other bad things they're usually doing. So it's literally just as dangerous to take on a poacher as it is a heroin trafficker. And, and I'm not saying it's only commo uh, commercial poachers that, that raise those stakes, but they definitely drive those stakes on what makes it so high stakes. Um, but, you know, even, even when you're taking on like a trophy poacher, just by the nature of the crime, you already know that there's going to be some inherent danger that's in that confrontation. Yeah. You, you, just so you know, you're, <laughs> you're on a roll. You're stealing the show. I, I want to step back and Sorry. no, I want to step back and just listen because what you're talking about makes so, so much sense. And I truly get it now. Um, but I will tell you, that's one thing in my personal experience. That's just so dang frustrating. Uh, th this growth of trophyism and to define that it's, it's more like more or less taking an animal for not for like, meat consumption or anything just because you want to have that animal as a trophy and it's it's pretty much and that's that's the one thing i cannot stand about the, the one side of hunting is when it becomes all about the trophy aspect it truly taints a beautiful and natural human process yeah i was reading i think it was in game warden magazine but i was reading something um this just kind of came to mind because i was just thinking you live in New Mexico and there was a, a pretty huge bust there relatively recently. And they're, they're starting to crack down on, um, on waste on people that are going in and, you know, killing an animal just to take the trophy and they're leaving the entire rest of the animals. To well, I, but I know that's no, no, that's, that's perfectly on topic. One thing that I truly love about most of the Western States, not so much in the East, which I hate to say this, but Eastern states often lag behind with a lot of the, the wildlife stuff because a lot of these animals, you have to understand that a lot of species were, were pretty much extirpated in the East and the society in general is learning to live with them again. But here out West, we, they've always had all these wonderful suite of species. And one thing that's always been ingrained is this wanton waste. You, wanton waste is literally when you 
kill an animal, you might take a piece of it, but you leave the rest of it to go to waste. So you don't use the, the meat, the hide, or anything like that. And a lot of these Western states have laws in place where if you were to kill an animal during the hunting season, you have to take the whole thing. You, you can't, you have to take the meat. It's not like every single ounce, but you've got to make use of that animal. There's no way you should kill that animal without making use of it. And um, yeah, we can go into some pretty long, serious, deep discussions about this, but it's, it's just something that um, is just becoming more and more of an issue. And I think we need to talk about it and figure things out as we go. Agreed, totally. And just for the record, you used a geek word. You said extirpated, um, just so everybody knows. Extirpated is a, a term that means that it's locally extinct. So like, um, for example, cougars, mountain lions, um, whatever you want to call them, uh, they are extirpated in Tennessee, meaning they're locally extinct they're, in Tennessee. No, wait, wait. But we all know that mountain lions they are, are... They are extirpated wait. from the eastern half of the United States. <laughs> Except, <laughs> well, yeah, no, you're you're correct. Sorry, I was gonna say, you know, they're extirpated we, we, from Tennessee, but not from New Mexico. Yeah, we go well, we go you're, well beyond your your little your home state of Tennessee there. So that's true. Well, in, in that case, except for the pocket population in Florida, yes. I was I was gonna mention that. <laughs> anyway, so extirpated, locally extinct. Anyway, but it's it's literally it's not just trophy species and commercial poachers who who are pretty much only money motivated. But um, you know, poaching as a whole, it's it's pretty widespread because again, there's there's those opportunistic poachers, um, which are generally not always the bad guys you know what i mean like they're they're a bad guy because the opportunity came up and they took it um there's subsistence poachers like you were saying earlier but yeah poaching as a topic it it really has a lot of complexity i mean it's all about the value of natural resources which is kind of a double-sided coin because the higher the value that's placed and the higher the restrictions that are placed then the higher price that something can fetch right yeah i'd I'd say so and i see your point but what would be the fix? <laughs> uh, well, making people not <laughs> want money, unique things, and again, changing thousand-year-old beliefs that are held by a third of the world's population. So how about <laughs> <Easy> that? Easy fix. <laughs> but to be honest, to be honest <laughs> that, that really sucks, actually. <laughs> but here's the thing. We've been talking about this world of poaching, which it often involves the hunting of animals. The issue, though, it's it's driven more by greed, and it literally transcends almost everything in our everyday lives. And so, in other words, this isn't a hunting issue. Greed is rampant in our everyday lives. So it's not only something that's found in hunting. So, for example, moral lines are crossed in all sorts of professions, whether or not you're a doctor, a lawyer, a waitress, self-employed, doohickey maker, whatever – there's always going to be temptations for doing things that kind of stretch that, that normal line of ethics all to be that much better than either like your fellow man or woman or coworker to make more money. It's, it's, it literally boils down, boils down to it being a human greed issue, not a hunting issue. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, to kind of follow on with that even like those cultural medicine the the you know when a, a tiger paw or whatever is ground down to make some ancient medicine 
those are, those are beliefs, you know, that's not even necessarily science. So, you know, like just to kind of go off on a rant, re- requiring the, the obviously expensive poached animal version of Viagra versus just going and buying some stinking Viagra. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and yeah. And, and, you know, we haven't even surfaced because, you know, the stuff here, everything that we get to talk about, it's really just kind of overview stuff. So there's lots of people that dedicate, you know, their entire lives and their entire careers fighting against poaching. And it's a multifaceted topic and a full on global challenge. And I don't know how long we've been talking uh, today, but I do know for sure that we've barely scratched the surface because poaching, it is a depressingly large and complex topic. Yeah, and I'm keeping an eye on the time, and I know you want to keep these to 30 minutes, but sometimes we go a bit longer. We might actually be a bit longer, but too bad. It's important. Um, but but now you know why gotcha. I wanted to make this um, an outlaw series, because you and I, we could talk about this for hours on end. And needless to say, I think this started off, it's a wonderful discussion, but um, we did say, and this is something that we've been wanting to do, we wanted to make these podcasts a little bit more interactive. So before we start wrapping up anything, um, let's address a question or possibly two that was submitted by uh, some of our Wildlife for You followers. And just did you i mean hopefully you wrote down their name this time right Dean? yeah today's letter comes from jane doe what <laughs> no. no i'm just teasing because um for those that don't know i entertain this this concept of answering uh uh one of our followers questions <laughs> last week and i totally forgot who that person was epic, yeah, fail. epic failure so anyway we did we did get a couple of questions in and so i want to address at least one maybe two of those um and and so trish wrote in to wildlife you for you and this is actually a really good one i was i was glad to see this and what what she asked she said i think most people think of charismatic species being poached which is true we talked about that but in north america specifically what are some of the smaller animals that are of interest to poachers and so my question is do you want to tackle this one stuff or you want me this this can easily lead to another topic in the outlaw series the whole illegal pet trade um well i can hit this and then you can hit it if i miss anything that's the point of having a partner right Okay, so it it is a good question, but size is still sort of relative. Um, So any game species, um, obviously, any game species, we're going to have poaching issues. Uh, I guess smaller examples could be like turkeys or pheasants or bobcats. Um, We got fish. We can can look at like walleye or crappie or trout. And some fish actually uh, for their eggs, like sturgeon or paddlefish, and eggs are pretty small. I did read, actually, uh, I told you earlier, I read in Game Warden Magazine, but I, I do read Game Warden Magazine, and I read about um, baby eels that were being poached in Maine recently, because it's they're legal to, to take in Maine, but the, the price of them was skyrocketing, and you know that, that led, of course, to an explosion in, in poaching of baby eels. Um, of course, plants. Plants also fall prey here, so uh, ginseng, that's going to be the super easy addition to the list. Um, and like, like you alluded to, Daryl, there's animals also being taken out of the wild 
for the exotic pet trade. You know, it's not traditional poaching as most people think because they, they think that poaching only means killing. But like you said, it's it's taking or harvesting. So it qualifies as poaching because it's still removing species from the wild. So, so what did I miss? Woodchucks. You miss woodchucks, and thank heavens, thank heavens, they're rarely poached because some people I know really would love to kidnap them and keep them as pets. Oh no, Daryl! Oh my God, I would totally never ever harm uh, a woodchuck. Um, thank you. <laughs> what? 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 I, I've, I've been hinted on a couple of like endeavors of yours where you had some evil conniving. Uh, devious plans in shape for a woodchuck near you, um, but I'll, <laughs> I'll drop it. <laughs> I think we'll need to talk later, though. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, it could lead to an episode on the exotic pet business, um, which does actually have some horror stories, none of which involve me and a woodchuck, <laughs> as for the record. Um, so, all right. Looking at the time, we're we're just a little. Um, we're doing good on time. How about that? How about I just never tell you the time and I just, I, I just end it when I want to. Um, but we, we did, I, I will tell you that when Trish wrote in, she kind of had a two-part question. The first one was about those smaller animals, but she also had another good, really quickie question um, from Facebook. And she actually asked, what, what do you do if you see a poacher? Well, I mean... So the potential poacher, unless they're poaching like mushrooms or ginseng or maybe fish, but, you know, they're, they're likely armed. Um, most agencies, they actually have a, a number specific to call for poaching. So my best recommendation would be to call it. I, I have literally dozens of conservation and wildlife officer friends, and that's what they would tell me to do, mostly, you know, for my own safety, because that's, that's their job. They know the personal risks and the dangers. Um, they're trained to handle all of that. So I believe that we should report things and we should do that in the you know, highest level of detail that we can do to kind of help them ID somebody, but then let the officers do their job. You know, they're, they're good at it. And, and I love those guys usually. Um, as a wildlife biologist, I do have a few good friends that are also biologists, but I will say uh, actually that aside from you, all of my closest wildlife professional friends are officers. Um, you know, I adore and respect them for what they do. Uh, shameless plug, huge, huge shout out to KBD and all of my wildlife attack crew. Um, that was Kevin Van Dam, I believe. Um, okay. Yeah, you're, you're, Kevin Van, not, not yeah it's, okay for, it's okay for you to give shout outs. But I, I totally get exactly what you say. Believe it or not. Wildlife officers, they have one of the harder jobs in law enforcement. Um, and it's simply because when, when you're working out in the wild, you're working in the way back, and they're having to engage and encounter people and making sure they're abiding by the law, you have to understand that almost every single person that they come up against or just meet or talk to, almost everyone is almost guaranteed to be armed, especially if it's during the hunting season. So they got a heck of a mm -hmm. tough job to do. Um, and it, I always hear the people that don't like law enforcement, they will call the wildlife officers like bunny cops. And if they, if they only knew how incredibly difficult their job is, I just have the utmost respect for them. And yeah, I respect the hell out of all that they do. 
Yeah. So with that, just for the record, I, I do actually own a watch. Oh, um, so let's, <laughs> let's go ahead and close it down by reminding everybody, of course, to follow our podcast on your favorite podcast app. Um, we actually, we are doing uh, a new thing. We are trying to shoot for a new episode once yeah, a week. And there's also Twitter, but also on our Facebook page is where we announce the next podcast. And we are going to make a concerted effort to constantly call out and ask for questions. So uh, follow us on the Facebook and make sure um, you send us those questions. When, when you see the next topic, uh, we'll ask for comments and just throw in your questions in the comments below. Um, but it's, it's pretty fun when we can uh, give you a shout out on air. Yeah, for sure. And of course, there is always our, uh, our website at wildlifeforyou.com. That's all spelled out. Um, and that's got our full lineup of webinars. And uh, that's, that's more Dee's world. So what's going on well, in the webinar world, it's Dee? coming to the holidays. And so I only have one webinar left for this season. Um, and it's, it's coming at the end of November. It's, it's actually one of my favorites. It's called Bear Tales. And what Bear Tales is, is I will spend an hour, hour and a half telling stories of some of my favorite wildlife adventures. Now, albeit most of these are going to be bear related stories, but I always entertain questions from the audience and we go in different directions here and there. But throughout my career, I've worked with a whole bunch of bears and I've got some doozy and whoppers of tales. I, I can't hand, hold a candle to what Kim DeLozier has, but uh, it's, I believe it's November. I'm not going to give the date. It's, it's after Thanksgiving. Um, but the best thing is it's going to be like a holiday version. I want you all to, to join up, kind of gather the family, sit around, uh, listen to these bear stories, ask questions. I'll be your own personal little storyteller about some of these crazy bear antics. So okay. that's what I got coming up. Um, the last webinar of the year. And I have two questions. So the first question is, are you going to put a, a pretty cozy picture um, that everybody can look at of a wild, like a, a fire crackling in a fireplace? Um, I did on the last one. Well, not on the bear tails. I did on my last talk where it looked like a campfire, but on these bear tails, since I know I'm going to talk about specific bears that I have worked with, uh, I will have some photos of some of those animals. Gotcha. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's not just a sit back and listen. You will have some eye candy, cute pictures of bears every once in a while. But it will not be a full-blown slideshow like one after another. Okay. And so eye candy, that means that the one thing I can, I can guarantee is that nobody will ever hear about our, our hilariously crazy, stupid bear thing that happened? No. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> no. That's good to Start showing up uh, to start like honking an air horn as soon as you started talking about it. Yeah, well, I, I imagine I could put up some pictures of someone trying to hang bear bait stations, but uh, that's only if someone <laughs> of scaling a tree and doing a totally piss poor job of, <laughs> of, of crossing the tree. If you, yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, unless if someone wants to hear that on Bear Tales, just bring it up and I might have the slide handy. So, <laughs> Oh, for the love of dogs, please do not do that, people. Because if I'm not there, you know, <laughs> if I'm not there, he's making it up. I'll just put it that way. 
<laughs> yeah, I have no pictures that you'll see. <laughs> anyway, so with that, um, uh, for sure, check out uh, check out that information on wildlifeforyou.com to get that firm date and, and show up for bear, t- bear tales. But with that, we, we will take this time to say goodnight. And we will remind you that when it comes to wildlife. Your knowledge is their existence. Yeah. So, night, folks. Night. <laughs>